Years ago, we'd be driving in my car with my kids, and we'd be talking about various things, and lo and behold, we started talking about men going into the armies. And uh, my son, Drew, who was pretty young at the time, probably six, uh, he was getting a little freaked out that, oh my gosh, people go to war and they die? He's like, I never want to be a part of the army. I never want to be that. And we're like, don't worry about it. Unless there's a draft, you're never going to have to go in there. He's like, what's a draft? And he's like, we just explained. That's when people pull people in. And, and suddenly we hear Andrew all freaked out. He's like, I don't want to, I don't ever want to be a part of a giraffe. And we're like, it's not, not a giraffe. It's a draft. But it was so cute because you could see how fearful he was of the army. So you can understand my my oddity, my, my con- consternation and confusion when I walked in and saw my son playing with all kinds of little military units he had bought because he wanted to redo uh, Normandy or some other thing. And, and he had taken some paper and was like lying around in random spots, little black pieces cut in more of squiggly ways and some red pieces and different stuff. I'm like, Drew, what are these things? I had no clue what the purpose was. I didn't understand what it was looking at. He goes, oh, this is the oil spill and makes this thing slip. And this one I put on top, now it's blown up. And this is the dirt one. And he had all of this little car, all these little um, pieces of paper cut out to look like explosions and all these things. And I'm going, uh, I thought you didn't want to be a part of the draft. But he was way into it. And it was cute because he was explaining what all these pieces meant and what they were for and how they worked and all this stuff. And I just love that creativity in a child. I love it when we see it in like Shark Tank. People bring something out. And you're like, what in the world is that? I can imagine the angels felt the same way after God created Adam and Eve. They're like standing there going, um, what is it? And he's like, it's a human. What's a human? Well, he says, look, I made them, and I've got this purpose for them, and they're going to be like me, and da-da-da, he starts explaining it all. And we get kind of a hint of that in the beginning, way back in Paradise, where he talks about, honestly, the purpose of humanity. I want to call them the Paradise Purpose, right? There's this sense that you and I were made for a purpose. We were made with a reason and a meaning, with an end goal in mind. We weren't just randomly plucked up and put on the ground and said, look, ape mans, no. That's where evolution gets it wrong. We actually have a purpose and a reason, and it's not found within ourselves. It was given to us by God, and God states it right here. In the beginning, in paradise, in the garden, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. That's not to crush it, that's to cultivate it. And in a sense, what we get here are three movements of of God's paradise purpose for humanity. That means before sin, before the mess, before the victimhood, we have this beautiful, creative purpose. First and foremost, he created us in his image and he blessed them. There was this sense that he created us to be like him and to know him, to have a relationship with him. That's why he speaks to them. That's why he blesses them. That's why he walks in the cool of the garden with them. It is about getting to know God. It is about relating to God. And that was one of our primary goals, to relate to God. But also, since we're in his image, to represent God. Everything that we do and everything that we are supposed to do is supposed to show off who God is. We are His image. And the first move in theology is knowing that I'm not God, but he, there is one, and, but I'm like God, and so I need to represent Him. And that's an honorable thing. You get to show off what your Creator is 
like, right? And so finally, it was this last one, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, you know, and the idea here is that they were to cultivate the earth. In fact, they were supposed to spread it. The garden was a local place. It wasn't the whole earth. And so what happens is he says, I want you to spread this garden of beauty, this paradise everywhere around the earth, where people can be with me, where all the animals are in my presence, where everything is perfect. Spread this out, cultivate it, create culture, make beauty, do this thing. And these were the, the purposes that we were given in these paradise purposes. Yeah, again, that's to know God, to represent God, and to spread his kingdom. Now, the problem is that we're not like the objects, okay? I'm like my son's little objects that he created. Um, they had a purpose, but there's one more step. There's one thing that makes us different than any other object, and that is you and I, we're responsible for it. God made us for a purpose and made us responsible to that purpose. Unlike my son who can move the objects around and play with, the, play with them according to his purpose, God literally says, here's your purpose, here's your vision, here's what I made you for, now go do it. You are responsible. You are to do it yourself. I'm not going to do it for you. You're going to do it. And yet, what did we do? We said, God, we're going to do what we want to do. We're not going to follow our purpose. And we became irresponsible. And we saw that they blamed each other and blamed the serpent and blame, blame, blame. And on it goes. And we fell into the fall of sin and the victimhood mentality where, you know, we're just suffering victims here. We're, we are just messed up. And we lost our purpose. We lost our responsibility. And in this series, what we've been doing is talking about how to move out of that victimhood. And today I want to talk about how to move into victory. We've already identified, we've seen that Christ, who is a great victim, was the great victor. And that he has given us a way out, that we've identified our victimhood. We've looked at what keeps us there. Well, we've stood and we've examined how to pack up. And now we're going to talk about how to move in, to go back into victory. To move back into what we all long for, the paradise. It is why communism is popular, because they want to explain a world in which all humanity is sharing everything with each other. There's no wars, nothing's dividing us. We're all equal and one. That's paradise. It's beautiful. It's the same reason why so many people are wrestling to figure out how to use technology to overcome death and disease. And we want paradise. But God promises us that paradise that we lost back in the garden can come again through Jesus Christ. And so, in order to move into victory, guys, we want to move in through the victor by following Jesus and move into that paradise, move into that victory we talked about last week that reframes everything. And so that victory is where we're going. We want to get back to paradise. But note, in paradise, there's a purpose and there's responsibility. We lost those, so now we're going to regain them. We're going to go back to them through Jesus, and we're going to regain these things. And first, we're going to resurrect our purpose in Christ. I think the best way that I can show you how this happens is to look at someone who once lost his purpose, who thought he had it, knew what he was doing, had it completely gone by his own actions, and now Christ is going to repurpose him again, and that's in John 21. If you got your Bible, go ahead and open it up there. We're going to look at Peter. So Peter, in this scene, is, is just after Jesus is resurrected. And I believe Peter probably felt an immense amount of guilt. He felt an immense amount of sorrow for rejecting Christ in his hour of need. I mean, this is the Peter who stood up and thought he was confident, thought he was the one who spoke out, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is the Peter who's going to walk on water. This is the Peter who's going to do all these incredible things because he is assertive and, and going to go for it because Christ can do amazing things. And now he's rejected Jesus and he is sitting there 
kind of woefully thinking, man, life stinks. I'm done. I'm just going to go back to what I used to do. And that's where we kind of pick up in chapter 21. We see that he's there with a few disciples in verses 1 and 2. All these guys who kind of lived up in the Galilee region, they come back to the Sea of Galilee. And then it says, Simon Peter said to them, these disciples who are with him, I am going fishing. We're going to go back to what I know I can do. I'm going back to the fishing boats. I'm going back out to my old life. This didn't work for me. I rejected Christ. And they said, well, we'll go with you. And they went out and got in the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. Now, this should sound familiar because this fisherman has had a time where he went out all night working his tail off, caught nothing. And along strolled this man who said, hey, hey, take it out on a cast with me. And he's like, we didn't catch anything all night. Why are you telling me to do this? And they're like, just humor me. Right? And this is that picture of when Peter had been called. And John's bringing us back to that for a reason. Because this is the same Peter, but he's abandoning his old calling to make fishers of men, to go back to his original. He is really in a place where he is ready to just be done. Sort of like a victimhood mentality. Sort of like, uh, I suck and I can't, I've lost my purpose, I can't have anything. Now, as they're fishing, a man comes walking along the shore. And one of the guys, and he yells out to them, have you caught anything? And Peter's like, no, I've been fishing all night. I haven't caught nothing. And he says, well, cast out on the right side. And he's like, okay, whatever, dude. Maybe you see something we don't. They throw it over the side, and boom, lo and behold, it's filled with fish. And, and John yells out, it's, it's the Lord. And Peter jumps into the water to go after Jesus and says, when they got out on the land, the rest of the disciples follow him. They saw a charcoal fire in the place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. It's a lot of fish. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, it's really important. There's some foreshadowing here going on. There's some stuff. First of all, the last time that we saw a charcoal fire was that same exact word as Peter sitting near a charcoal fire while Jesus is on trial. And at that charcoal fire, he's going to deny Jesus three times. If there's anything going on here, it's that Jesus is setting up his Matthew 18 moment with Peter. I want you to think about that. He's about to just tell him, listen, Peter, You've sinned against me. We need to make this right. And I think Peter got the message. Charcoal fire, just had the thing that happened when I was called. Jesus is sitting here. Okay, what's up? Well, Jesus calls him aside after breakfast and begins a conversation. When they had finished breakfast, it says that they... Simon, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Of course, pointing at the other disciples. And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, then tend my sheep. And he said to him again, uh, the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said it for a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. I love this because what's going on here is a direct confrontation between Jesus and Peter. Peter, you said you deny me three times. I want to hear that you love me three times. You said you can't be with me. I'm asking you to be with me. You think you can't be a part of this. I'm telling you, get back out there and do what I called you to do. 
And I'm going to just put it this way. If you want to see a resurrection of your purpose in life, you want to see what God has got for you in the purpose for why he made you, then you have got to return to God. And you only can go through a Matthew 18 moment with God. You may have been following the steps last week and begun to confront and deal with your sin that you've committed. You may have gone to make it right. You may have gone to apologize and do those things. And now... There's one more step. It's not as simple as just saying, God, I'm sorry. You need to reckon with God. You need to go to him and say, God, this is where I've messed up. This is what I'm doing. This is where I've gone wrong. And I do love you. I recommit myself to you. I am here and God's going to deal with you. And he's going to deal with you graciously. It says, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. God is out not to crush you, but to redeem you, to reconcile you, and to bring you back into repurposed living. And so this is how it works for Peter. He had to go through this situation, and you need to do the same thing. And so right now, you may be convicted by God at this moment. Then don't hear anything else that I say. Get with Jesus right now and say, God, let's have this out. I need to deal with this. As he brings these things up, confess them, work through them. And if you haven't dealt with them and made them right with the people that you sinned against, get that right as well and begin that journey. Don't wait because he's not here to reject you. He's here to reinstate you. And this is exactly what he does with Peter because his last words to Peter after he tells him, you're going to be faithful all the way to the end of your life now, he says, follow me. He says, I don't want you to simply go away. I want you to come back to the purpose that I give you, following me. What's the purpose of a disciple? What is our purpose? Well, it's the original paradise purposes resurrected. So those original three that I talked about resurrected and brought about. Now, we call them to love, live, and share. Think about it. The first one is you can have a relationship with God again. You can engage in knowing God and loving Christ and deepening your relationship and worship because He saved you. That's always the first movement. You've been made right with God because He has reinstated you. Now get to know Him. Follow Him. Be with Him. Relate with Him daily regularly sitting in his word, letting it change you, knowing who your master is. Because if you want to know your purpose, guess what? It's not inside of you. Let me say that again. You will never find your purpose by looking inside yourself because you're not the original. God is. You are created and your creator gives you purpose. And he says, listen, the way you find your purpose is relating to me. That's part of how I made you. Let's get this sin cleaned up. My son, Jesus Christ, has borne it on the cross for you. The guilt is gone. You don't need to be ashamed before me. You're no longer condemned. Take my gift. Be free so you can relate to me. Love God. Love Christ. Be in relationship with him individually, corporately. Let's do this, then move to that second repurposing, which is, hey, you represent God. You're supposed to be the image of God. That's what we mean by living for Christ. And the way Jesus put it is not just loving God, but love your neighbor, love the church. God's gifted you with his spirit. He's put inside of you all kinds of gifts, all kinds of abilities for you to use, to care for one another. He's given you financial gifts. He's given you time. He's given you 
all these talents, guys. We spread this out. We create the paradise that God has given to us. We live out like Christ was living with love, which means we're unfair to ourselves for the sake of the other. And this is how it begins to grow. And we produce goods and beauty and you go to work knowing that God's going to use you and you're going to find your purpose as you know him. You'll get to know yourself because you are a derivative and then you will begin to work in those things and he'll begin to show up as you show him off. We call it glorifying God. As you worship him and you care for people like he would, it begins to reveal that purpose. You'll have a passion that'll lock in. You'll have gifts that'll lock in. And you'll feel like your life isn't wasted. You're doing what God made you to do. But that's not found inside of you. It's found in knowing God and living out who he is. And then finally, spreading paradise, sharing Christ. How do you spread paradise? We spread it through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you do that, you spread the paradise to every heart. That garden's gone, but the opportunity to enter that garden has come again through Jesus Christ. And we get to spread that out. We get to challenge and encourage people to step back into paradise. It is theirs. It's their victory. Step out of the victimhood, out of this trouble, into Christ, and whammo, suddenly your purpose is reset. And we call it loving, living, and sharing Christ so you can make Him known. Guys, this is the Christian purpose. This is what God has called us to do. So let's begin to do it. If you've got that cleaned up, let's live for Him. Let's, let's, let's let it out as we've loved Him. And let's share about Him that others can enjoy Him as well. But this leads into one thing. We don't just get to have our purpose resurrected. We have to return to responsibility. If you want to move out of, out of victimhood into victory through Christ, you've got to return to responsibility. Nobody can do this for you. Only you can do it. I, my sons, uh, just the other day, uh, were home with the, with the dog, and my wife was out picking up my daughter, and I showed up kind of early. And I walk in, and my son walks up, and my youngest walks up. He's like, hey, Dad, uh, Hack, that's our dog, has torn up all the toilet paper in the pantry. And I'm like, what? So I go over to the pantry, open it up, and there's all this toilet paper all over just torn up and chewed into. And, of course, you know, I'm like, why didn't you clean it up? He's like, well, I didn't do it. I'm like, no, you didn't do it. Well, where are your brothers? Come here. And so all three of them down, like, guys, you got to clean this up. Well, we didn't do it. No, this is it. And they're all blaming each other, all right? And I said, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter you didn't do it. You're, you're not guilty for this, but it's still your responsibility. You're responsible for the dog. So now you're responsible to clean it up because just because you didn't do it doesn't mean you're not responsible. And that's a critical key piece to us moving out of victimhood. You may not have gotten yourself into victimhood on purpose, but it's your responsibility to move out. You may have seen that you have this repurposing and you may think, man, I, I didn't do this and I need to get Well, it's just your responsibility. You've got to step into it because God has given you a purpose. He's re-given you life. He's resurrected this. And so now we got to do something. This reminds me of that parable that Jesus tells before he, uh, before he goes to the cross. He's talking about the end times and what happens. And he says, listen, it's going to be like a man going on a journey who called to his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one, he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, and each according to his ability, and then he went away. Now, talents are not like, hey, check it out. I can, you know, pat my head and rub my belly, right? No, that's not talent. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about money bags, and, and basically, it's an image of you being given your life, being given what you're supposed to do. Well, these men go off, two of them go off, invest it, and do all kinds of stuff, multiply it, and come back and say, God, here's what we did. We sowed it, and it came out great. Hey, they took responsibility, but the third man 
he does something completely different. He comes back, and the one who had received one talent came forward and said, Master, you know, uh, you know, I knew you were like a, you know, a hard man, and you're reaping where you don't sow, and you know, gathering where you didn't scatter seeds. So, I, I, you know, I went and hid your talent in the ground, and so here, here's what's yours. <laughs> See, hey, didn't lose it. Great. What's interesting about this, this man is using a lot of excuses for why he didn't do what he was supposed to do, for not doing his responsibility. He could say, hey, it's not my fault. You're this kind of guy. I'm just trying to do it like, I'm just trying to make sure I didn't mess up. You know, he got your money back. What's the big deal? But the master answered, you wicked, twisted, slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I don't sow and gather where I, I just scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested the money with the bankers. Am I coming? I should have received what was mine my own with interest. And here's what's interesting. He's like, your excuse? Okay, I'll give it to you. That's not an excuse. And because of your excuse, you should have done something else. You were still responsible. I don't care. I'm not going to listen to your excuse. The picture in this is that we're going to one day have to stand before God and explain ourselves. In fact, he goes on. He says, see, take the talent from him. Give it to the him who has ten talents. Everyone who has will be given more. And he who has will have an abundance. We all know this. When a kid is responsible, we give him more responsibility. When a kid's irresponsible and you can't trust them, you take it away. It's just how life works. And God does the same thing. If you're not going to live with your purpose, he's going to back off. He's going to take less away from you. No, we have to step out and live in that purpose. We have to step out and be responsible with that purpose. If you're going to live in victory, we're responsible to walk in that victory. And so we need to step into that. We need to be engaged because we're going to have to explain what we did with our lives and this purpose when we stand before God. And listen, the excuses aren't going to fly. So we need to examine these roadblocks, these excuses that hold us back from taking that responsibility and living out for Christ, for loving, living, and sharing. And what is it that's holding us back? And let's, let's answer this. First one is that there's a big excuse out there called, well, I've tried everything. It just doesn't work. And we've heard this for people who are trying to get out of victimhood, get out of a situation that's horrible. Maybe it's abusive. Maybe it's trying to fix your marriage. Or maybe it's even in a case where you're trying to move forward in your career or whatever. Man, we can use excuses. We don't want to take the responsibility for our portion of what we're supposed to do. And so we say, I've tried everything. It says, I've run out of options. There's nothing left for me to do. It's interesting because one of the places we often feel like we've run out of options is when we're tempted. You're just drawn to that sin. There seems to be no options but the sin, so we just give into it. And even in this case, Paul's like, no, you still have options. He says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may, may be able to endure it. Even in this temptation, there are options. There's a way of escape. Let's put it this way. Every time God showed up to deal with Israel, he gave them choices. You can choose today to not go this route, but go that way. You know, Joshua, stand there. Choose you this day who you're going to serve. There are always options. And what we need to become is the kind of people who can see the options, see the opportunities in order to achieve that purpose and live in that victory, to see that paradise grow, to see ourselves living out Christ in, these mar in our marriages as parents and as singles, as people who are wrestling through this world and the questions of our times. Man, we've got to be a people who are walking in this purpose 
with all the options available. So, so what do you do? Well, brainstorm some options. Sit down, find some time, and literally write all the options that come to your mind, even the ones you've already done, even the ones you don't like, even the ones you don't think may necessarily work. Get them all out there. You can see very clearly there are options. But this leads to the other problem. The other roadblock is they're bad options. I mean, the only option you can't choose is sin, right? Those aren't true options. Erase those off your list. I'm talking about good options, righteous options. Well, sometimes those aren't great. They, we would even say detrimental. They're bad. They're, I just don't like these options. That's an excuse that holds a lot of people back. And we assume we can't do anything because that option is way too hard. I just, that, I just can't. And I've lived through this, and trust me, there are always options, and sometimes the bad options are the only options, and you need to take them. Think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing there with all this music playing, a giant statue standing in front of them, and a fiery furnace, and they're told, bow down to that statue, Jewish boys, and worship it, Nebuchadnezzar was telling them, or I'm going to toss you into the fire. Now, these boys were good Jewish boys. They didn't have an option, right? No, they did. And this is how they replied. They said, oh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. They said, here's our option. It's not a great option thrown in the fire because we're not going to sin. So, yep, we're going that way. If God wants to save us, he'll save us. That's exactly what God did. But what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understood was to live out their purpose, they had to take a bad option and leave it to God. They had to step forward. But you know, many of us will not take the bad option or step forward on any option because, to be quite honest, many of us are very fearful. You might be even what I would call risk-averse. I'm a risk-averse person at times, and sometimes I'm not. And what, usually I'm not when I'm confident that the Lord's going to do something. But hey, here's the thing. We're all fearful. And when it comes to your purpose, the enemy wants to drive fear into you. He wants to make you freaked out. He wants to bring you down, and he wants to block you with fear. And I've been, you know, some of you are scared. You didn't call CPS because of the fear of what that would do to your family or to that family. Some of you didn't remove that abuser or have that abuser arrested because of fear of what would, the reprisals would be within the family. Some of you didn't get out of that situation at your workplace because of fear of not knowing what kind of um, income you would be pulling in later. Some of you have stepped out of and stopped yourself out of fear from moving in your purpose for various reasons like that. Fear is a powerful thing to stop you from what God has called you to do, from loving and living and sharing Him, from the risk of giving the gospel away, from the risk of living out that passion and that purpose that God has put in your soul from knowing Him, or, or fearful that, you know, I got to really clean this up and get right with God. No, don't, don't let fear take you. In fact, I want to show you a time when the disciples were very fearful. And it's funny because the same words seem to pop up. Jesus is going to be showing up here. He, he sent the disciples to get in a boat and go before him to the other side. And while he was going to dismiss the crowds, he just fed them as the 10,000 that were eating. And so in Matthew here, it says, The boat by this time, as they had sailed away, was a long way from the land beaten by the waves. They're just trying to get to the other side. Nothing. There's wave after wave and wind after wind is against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. 
And when they saw, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. This is like a magnificently huge word. Like, I am freaked out. In fact, they're like, it's a ghost. This is scary. Yeah, even the disciples believed in ghosts, right? They're freaked out and they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. If God is calling you to something, if God is showing up in a situation, man, He is telling you fear is the opposite. I don't want you to be afraid. I am with you. It's I. I am here. And if He is with us, as He said, I'm with you to the very end of the age. Guys, we do not have to fear. We can take heart. Even if something harms us, we're resurrected. Even if we fail, He'll reinstate us. All these things are beautiful. Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. That's what He's telling us in the middle of some of the most fearful moments of our lives. And so if you're fearful about that point, if you're fearful about that failure, if you're fearful about that outcome, if you're fearful, trust that if it is the good that you can step in and follow God. You see, the way that you overcome the roadblocks, all the roadblocks, is by stepping out in faith in Christ. Stepping out in faith. Faith does not mean a blind step like Indiana Jones. No, that is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about confidence in the living God who is with you, in you, and for you, and he has given you his word. You see, that's what happens with Peter. In the midst of this fearful situation, Peter listens. He's like, don't be afraid. Okay. So Peter says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out to you on the water. So Jesus says, come. And Peter sees the word, sees the option. Here's what God calls him to do. This is what you're supposed to do right now. And so Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. That is stepping out in faith. Now, this isn't like, hey, God, I need to know what, 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 the, what I'm supposed to do here first. And I need a, a fuzzy feeling in my stomach and a burning in the boat. No, it's the word that led Peter forward. It was the relationship with Jesus. It's your loving Christ first that will tell you, hey, what's that next step? If you're not connecting with God and you're not reading his word, you don't know what the next good step is. It only has to be a good step. It doesn't have to be some cosmic moment that opens your eyes. You're like, I know exactly what I'm supposed to do. It just simply means that, hey, I know what's right because of scripture. I know what's good. And a good step is a good step. I'm following the word of God. You, may, you don't have to feel like, I know this is what I'm supposed to do. You just have to know that it is good and right. And you should take that step, even if it's hard, even if it's scary. And that's what Peter does. He steps out. He takes a, that risk, and he starts to move forward. But why am I telling you you should be confident? Because God has saved you, and he's given you this purpose. I've shown you in Scripture that his purpose. In fact, let me give you another reason. Because God is so for you when you take a good step. He says, by grace you have been saved. This is Paul writing to the Ephesians. It's by grace, his gift, you are saved. This isn't your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works. And so we can't boast. For we are his workmanship. He has reshaped us. He has taken and made us and fashioned us. And we're created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. That is that spreading of his paradise. That is that living for him by loving our neighbors and loving the church. We're here to do these good works, to do these purposes, to make these goods, to care for these people, to serve in our jobs, to get out there and engage this world in standing for truth. Right? And these are God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If God prepared them beforehand, guys, we can't fail in these. And sure, it may not come out like we think it should, 
But God's going to do what He has planned to do because we are His workmanship. And it's our job to take the responsibility to walk in them, to step out, even if they're scary, even if they're difficult. But the purpose is set up for us. It's our responsibility, and we have options. So what should I do? You know what? Even if it's tough, I step out in faith. I'm going to trust God's with me. I'm going to trust He's for me, so who can be against me? And you will go forward. And yes, sometimes you'll get moving and you think you've got this and fear will creep back in. Back with Peter, while he's walking on that water, notice what it says, he saw the wind and he was afraid. of What? The wind. Here he's walking on water and he sees some wind blowing hard and he's like, that's scarier than what I'm doing. No? Yeah. And he begins to sink and he cries out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reaches out lifts his hand, took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, what is this doubt? This doubt isn't like, oh, I wonder, God. It is believing that something on earth is greater than the power of God. It is believing that you've got this over God's got this. It is believing that 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 force, that person, that boss, that government, that issue, that thing out there is greater than the power and the word of God who said, Come, step out. And so when we keep our eyes fixated on loving Christ and the Word of God, on that first purpose, that relationship with God, man, the living with God will be clearer. That purpose will be set. We take the good steps forward. We share Christ in the midst of this. And yeah, we'll fall down, but don't worry about it. Cry out to God. Go back to the first base. Go back to calling out to Christ. Don't go to victimhood. Don't go back into the flesh. Don't go back into your own mentalities. Go to Jesus. Run back to Him. And when he sees him, he'll lift you back up. He's not out there to condemn you. He's out there to empower you, to get back up on that purpose and move forward. And so when you see that, you're going to be like, man, God, you are truly, truly here. You are the Son of God, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. And here's the thing. You get back up and you walk back on and you keep following Jesus. And eventually, yeah, you fail and you fall and stuff and he reinstates you and keeps moving you. And eventually... There's lots of cool things that begin to happen. It's not easy. It's not easy because the fear is there and we want to get up and we want to, we want to give up instead of get up and we get this failure mentality and we fall back into victimhood and all this. No, we need to get back up, pack up, trust Christ, move forward. And then the bottom line is we don't give up. Brent told us the story that years ago his father-in-law had come with this little cut from a lemon tree. And they planted that lemon tree, and man, he was diligent. Every year, fertilizing it, watering it, helping it grow, trimming it, doing all these things. Year one goes by, no lemons. Year two goes by, no lemons. Still cultivating, still caring for it. Year three goes by, year four, 70 years, no lemons. And he's like, he said by the sixth year, he's looking at this thing going, if it doesn't produce lemons this year, I'm chopping it down. You know, I put my heart and soul into this thing, and that's it. And true enough, that year, boom, more lemons than he could possibly do anything with. And he said then that year his wife came out and trimmed it way down, and it took seven more years till it did it again. But again, he had to endure. And when he endured with life, life gave him lemons, and he made lemonade. But the point is simply that he didn't give up. And this is critical. You may not see the fruit you think you should see by pressing into the purpose that God gives you. Don't fall into whiny victimhood and la 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 If you've been a victim and you're still struggling and you're still wrestling to pack things up, don't give up. Don't fall back and just quit. 
Christ is with you. Get that counseling. Get into that group. Energize yourself. Don't quit. Find that healing. Get into a count, a good place where you're going to grow and get the tools to bring back this responsibility, to walk back into that purpose, to begin to sh- take that responsibility. And don't give up. And it's not easy. See, what we reap, we will eventually sow, right? Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. When they sowed that little tiny sapling, out came a giant tree. And eventually, they got more fruit than they put in. You sow a little seed, you're going to get the greater amount, but it's going to come later. And that's the first part. It's, you're going to get greater. There's going to be tons and tons and tons of this. You're going to pour in. And hear me. This is why I'm warning us not to stay in victimhood. The more you sow to victimhood, the more you're going to suffer the, the actual repercussions of victimhood. There's going to be more shame. There's going to be more guilt. There's going to be more pain. There's going to be more feelings of injustice. There's going to be more anger. Not retribution, not justice, not healing, not these things. But if you pour into Christ and toward his victory and you shift your community and you go back through these things and you don't give up, and you sow towards that healing, you sow towards Jesus, in time you'll reap righteousness and har- a harvest of righteousness. As you spend that time with Christ, as you take those steps of risk, as you share, and even though they may not hear it, even though you may not feel like you're getting anywhere, eventually there will be this blossoming of fruit in your life. No wonder he tells everyone, hey guys, don't grow weary of doing good. Don't quit. In due season, we will reap if we do not give up. And you are responsible for the purpose that God gave you. You are responsible for the life that he hands you. You're responsible, no one else. No one's going to stand before God to explain your life but you. No one's going to stand before God to explain my life but me. And you're sitting there or you're listening to this tonight or today, and I want to remind you that it's you who has to get up and move forward. It's you who has to take the step as you move out of that victimhood into victory. It is you who has to connect with Christ and let him resurrect that purpose. It is you then who has to live in that. No one else can do it for you. Christ is there to empower you, but he made you for a purpose and he made you responsible for that purpose. So let's begin to start moving forward. If you feel like you can't step forward, you feel like you're continuing to struggle, just remember, go back, go back, go back to packing up, get back through those systems, and go back and look, hey, okay, what is my purpose? The, what God has given me to do. He's res- resurrected these. Okay, what options do I have? Choose one, step forward in faith, and then keep going. In time, you're going to reap the character. In time, you're going to reap the rewards and the victory. In time, you're going to find the healing. But don't give up. It may not be your fault. And for many of you, it's not. But it is your responsibility. And it's time to step into that responsibility. Because Christ, while it wasn't his fault for the sins of the world, took it upon himself as his responsibility. And that's why we can be saved. That's why we can be freed from victimhood. That's why we can begin to journey into living a resurrected purpose, though I'm responsible, and still know while I may fail in it, God's there to lift me back up and so I can keep going. And if that's you today and you haven't even begun because you need to get right with God, like we said at the beginning, you need to have that, that moment of confrontation between you and God. 
I'm going to invite you to do it. But what I hope it does is it leads you to the point where one day you receive the grace of Jesus Christ. Maybe you have questions. Maybe you have struggles. We want to invite you to starting point to check out, um, like, hey, what more can I learn? Because, you know, you've got to lean into the God who's there and not the God of your invention to really see transformation. And so we want to have you have your answer, questions answered and connect with them. And so starting point is that available option. You can simply text the number at the bottom, this, I believe, this, this thing's starting. And we want you to be able to connect in right there and uh, join us. Be a part of this because we want you to begin to find that healing. And maybe the day you're ready to begin, you're ready to start, well, let somebody know. And just invite God into your life. Invite him through Jesus Christ to heal you and to move you forward so that you can move out of that victimhood. Our prayer is that all of us here who have found ourselves stuck can begin to pack it up and become responsible and start moving forward as we move into victory and find healing. Let me pray over you. Father in heaven, I ask that you'd bless all of these men and women who are struggling, who are wrestling to leave this victimhood from all the various things that I've heard. And God, I pray that you would now give them the power to work through the justice, to find that forgiveness, to get into that place where their community is aiding them. God, so they can find that purpose again and begin to move forward step by step in the responsibility of living with you and for you and bringing others to know you. God, would you just lead us and help us not to give up? For in time, in time, God, you're gonna, we're going to reap a harvest. And we thank you that you're with us. Bless us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.